I have no authority to tell you to do anything beyond the clear commands of Scripture. I have no authority to tell you where to live, what car to buy, who to marry, unless I can take you to a chapter and verse and say, this is what God commands. If I can do that, the other elders do that, then you're to obey the Scriptures that we bring to your light. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is a plurality of elders a biblical mandate for church leadership? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. And today, Tom concludes his current series with part 12 of Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom has undertaken a look at how the church's historic legacies, its foundational practices and elements, are quickly disappearing in many churches today. Such is also the case with how a church is governed and structured. And yet, not only is Jesus Christ the head of the church, but he has also given a specific mandate for how his church is to be governed. That mandate is through a plurality of godly, qualified men. The New Testament provides several compelling arguments that call churches and church leaders to install biblically qualified elders to govern their churches. What criteria are involved and how does the congregation best play its part? Let's join Tom as he opens God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Imagine if you were pastoring the church in Jerusalem and there was one elder, one pastor. 5,000 men at one point, and the church is multiplying. How do you do that? The answer is you don't. I can't adequately pastor all of the people in this church, much less a church the size of the church in Jerusalem. But plurality of elders allows that group of godly leaders to grow as Christ brings others in who are qualified, and therefore it spreads out the load. Secondly, it provides accountability and a protection against the sinfulness of the human heart. There is obviously an element of truth to the fact that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You've seen it displayed, sadly, in many different settings. It can even happen in the church. And so there is benefit to there being a plurality of leaders, and with that comes accountability. I'm not the dictator of this church, have no desire to be, And I am accountable to the other elders in this church, and that is a protection for me. It's a protection for you. It's a protection for the other elders. But thirdly, and I think most importantly, plurality ensures wise counsel and effective decisions. Proverbs talks so much about this. Proverbs 11, 14, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Proverbs 15:22 without consultation plans are frustrated but with many counselors they succeed as the elders and I remind each other often our collective wisdom is much greater than our individual wisdom I'm so glad I'm not responsible to make all of the decisions pertaining to everything in this church because I don't have that much wisdom But when you have a group of men who've been gifted and qualified by God who come together, collectively our wisdom makes for a greater wisdom than any of us have individually. There's balance with that. There's 
There's God's wisdom in that plan. Elder rule is really a form, when you think about it, of representative government. Once the elders select and test the man, once the congregation affirms the man as biblically qualified and that man is installed as an elder, then that person, the elders now, that person joining with the rest of the elders, represent Christ. He's the chief shepherd, we are under shepherds, and we represent you as one of the congregation. The elders may decide for the protection of the church that certain matters require a vote of the congregation. The elders are responsible to lead, but the elders may say, for the protection of this congregation, we're going to have certain things the congregation needs to vote about. For example, our constitution requires the whole church to vote on changing the doctrinal statement, on buying land, and calling a new senior pastor. Why? For the protection of the church, so a small group of people don't change the entire direction of this church. So that can happen, but in the end, the elders are responsible to lead, and they lead even in making that decision, and they govern at as Christ representatives in this church. That's Christ's plan. Biblically qualified and gifted men lead his church. By the way, for your encouragement, uh, we hope on September 25th to install two additional elders alongside Dusty Burris at the, the church plant, North Lake Bible Church, which will bring them to three elders. And at that point, the elders of this church, who have been the elders of that church to this point, we have decided that when they were financially independent, which they've been since the beginning, and when there were three biblically qualified elders, they would become an entirely independent church, and those elders will lead that church. And Lord willing, that will happen the end of this month. This is Christ's plan. Now, before we leave the biblical evidence, let me briefly just comment on the Greek words for elders. The Greek words for elders, there are three of them. First of all, the word elder itself, the Greek word is presbyteros. Presbyteros, primarily in the New Testament, it's used either of a, a person who's older, just in age, or it's used as a title for someone who's in authority, someone who's responsible. There's no specific age with that second use, but it certainly implies maturity, dignity, and experience. 28 times it's used in the Gospels and Acts, referring to the Sanhedrin. 12 times in Revelation it's used referring to the 24 elders, representatives of all the redeemed. But 19 times in Acts and the Epistles, it identifies a unique group of leaders in the church, elder. The second word that's used is overseer. The Greek word is episkopos. Sometimes it's translated bishop. This was a common word in secular Greek culture for local officials, super, superintendents, managers, controllers. In the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, it's used of army officers, tabernacle administrators, supervisors of the temple repair, temple guardians, and even of a city supervisor, what we would call a mayor. It occurs only five times in the New Testament. One time of Christ in 1 Peter 2.25, he's called the overseer of our souls. And four times it's used of church leaders 
especially in Gentile churches like the one in Ephesus. It's a general word that just means supervisor, manager, guardian. The third Greek word is shepherd. The Greek word is poimen. It's also translated as pastor. The noun form of this occurs some 18 times in the New Testament, sometimes of those who keep animals, but it, it occurs for Christ in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 2. He's called the, the shepherd or the chief shepherd, and it's used of church leaders in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. In, in our translation, it's translated as pastors, but better, pastor-teachers. The Greek construction puts those two words together. It emphasizes the shepherd's primary role is teaching or feeding the sheep. The verb form of shepherd occurs three times of church leaders. In John 21, when Jesus commands Peter to shepherd his sheep, in Acts 20, 28, when Paul tells the Ephesian elders to shepherd the church of God, and in 1 Peter 5, when Peter charged the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Now, here's what I want you to see about those three words. Those three words, elder, overseer, and shepherd, all refer to the same office. Not three separate offices, but one office. How do we know that? Well, look at the qualifications. The qualifications for an overseer in 1 Timothy 3 are almost identical to the qualifications for, I should have said that, um, no, that's right, that's right. The qualifications for an overseer in 1 Timothy 3 and the qualifications for an elder in Titus 1 are almost identical. So the qualifications are the same. Secondly, Paul tells Titus to appoint elders, Titus 1.5, and then he calls the very same office overseer in Titus 1.7. In 1 Peter 5, Peter uses all three of these terms to describe one office. Listen to what he writes. I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Acts 20 uses all three of these terms interchangeably for the same office. Acts 20, verse 17, he sent and called for the elders. Verse 28, he says to the elders, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. So these three terms then are used of the same office. Elder talks about character. He's spiritually mature. Overseer talks about his function. He oversees, he manages. And shepherd emphasizes his heart as well as his teaching duties. John MacArthur writes this, the, the term elder emphasizes who the man is, overseer speaks of what he does, and pastor or shepherd deals with how he ministers. Now, what exactly is this plurality of godly men supposed to do? What is my job description? What is the job description of the rest of the elders of this church? Essentially, we have three primary duties. Number one, we are to manage the church. Remember, how can he manage the church if, if, er, how can he manage the church if he does not manage his own household? Manage is part of our responsibility. Secondly, we're to teach. We're to teach by verbal instruction, and we're to teach by personal example. And thirdly, we're to pray. That's our job description, to manage the church, to teach the Word of God, and 
to live it out by example, and thirdly, to pray. Now, the goal of our doing those things is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. It's on the wall out in the foyer. This is our goal. Christ gave us to this church in order to equip you for the work of service so that the entire body is built up. That's our job, to manage, to teach, to pray, so that you would do the work of ministry so that the body of Christ here would be built up. So what I want you to see, folks, is the New Testament pattern is certain and clear. When you look at the New Testament churches, a group of qualified men led the churches. But here's the question. Is that pattern required of every church today? Is it a mandate for this church and every other Christian church? Briefly, I want you to consider the biblical arguments for a mandate. It is a mandate, and here is why. There are two reasons. The first reason is because of the purpose of the pastoral epistles. The three letters addressed to pastors, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. They were written to church leaders with instruction about life in the church. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, In case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. In other words, the pastoral epistles were written to elders like me and to the other elders in this church to say, here's what life in the church should be like. And in the pastoral epistles, the evidence is clear. Paul insists on a plurality of leadership. In 1 Timothy 5.17, a plurality of leadership in Ephesus, and in Titus 1.5, I want you to appoint elders, plural, in every church, singular. If these letters are written to tell us how to conduct life in the church, then how in the world can we improve on what's been commanded? A second argument for a mandate is this, the example and command of the apostles. The example as well as the commands of the apostles. You see, the apostles established elder rule in the Jewish churches. We saw that in the Jerusalem church in Acts 15. They established elder rule in the Jewish churches. James expected elder rule in the Jewish churches outside of Jerusalem. In James 5, we already saw that. Thirdly, Paul established elder rule in Gentile churches. We saw that in Acts 14, 23. In all of the Gentile churches, he established elder rule. And finally, and most importantly, Paul commanded Titus, and therefore through him every other church leader, to appoint elders in every church. Now that invites a question. How does a church identify those men that Christ has given to lead his church? In other words, how do I and the other elders of this church know whom Christ has appointed as leaders in this church? What's the biblical process? It's laid out in 1 Timothy 3. I wish I had time to take you there and walk you through it. Let me just give you the outline. Here's how we know. Here's how we can look at a man and say, this man has been called and gifted by Christ. Four criteria. Number one, craving. Does he desire the work? 1 Timothy 3.1, he has to aspire to this office. He has to desire the work. 
So does, that's the only subjective qualification, but is it something he wants? We're not going to force this on anybody. Number two, character. You remember all those character qualifications? Does this man exhibit these character qualifications, not in perfection, but in direction? Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. Number three, capacity. He has to have two capacities, two skills. 1 Timothy 3, 2, he has to be able to teach. He has to be able to explain the Word of God. And Titus 1, he has to be able to correct those who are wrong. And he has to have the capacity not only to teach, but he has to have the capacity to manage. 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5 say that he has to manage the church, but he can't do that if he can't manage his own life well. So look at his life and see if he's qualified. So he has to be able to teach and able to manage. So craving, does he desire it? Character, does he have the right character? Capacity, is he able to teach and able to manage? And number four, confirmation. Confirmation, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verse 10, speaking of the deacons, says, let these also first be tested. The clear implication is that the elders who come right before that are also to be tested. That is, confirmed by the elders and the congregation. So the elders select and test the man, the congregation confirms that, and then the elders lay hands on that man and install him as an elder. If the elders select and the congregation affirms the qualifications of this man, then it means that that man has been appointed by Christ himself to serve in this church. Now, the fact that Christ has given this church and its leaders, uh, let me say that differently, the fact that Christ has given this church its leaders should affect your response to those in leadership. Scripture is very clear about how you should respond. And by the way, I don't say this in a self-serving way. You do this. I'm just doing this in the interest of being complete, all right? But you need to know how the Scripture calls you to respond to the elders that Christ has put in his church. Three ways. I'll give them to you just very briefly. Number one, appreciate and esteem them. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at verse 12. We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. The Greek word for appreciate is actually to know. The idea is that you know them well, you respect them, you appreciate them. That's why it's translated that way here. And those who have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. By the way, there's the job description of an elder. Have charge over and give you instruction. And not only that you appreciate them, but that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You esteem those that Christ has appointed to leave, lead his church very highly, and you love them because Christ has given them to the church as his gift. I, I thank God for the elders of this church. There's no group of men anywhere that I'd rather serve with than the men I serve with on this elder board. And so you need to appreciate and esteem those who serve among you. Number two, you need to imitate their faith imitate their faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. 
remember those who led you. And again, you get the job description of an elder here. Those who led you, who spoke the Word of God to you, and who served as an example. Remember them, and notice this, considering the result of their conduct, look at their lives, see what they taught, see how it fleshes out in their lives, and imitate their faith. To whatever extent the elders and I follow Christ and we try to live out His Word, look at us as a living example and imitate our faith. That's what the Scriptures teach. And thirdly, obey and submit to them. Obey and submit to them. Look down in verse 17 of Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who would give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. Unfortunately, has some elders in other places have, and maybe you've been, been abused by this verse. This is not permission for elders to be heavy-handed, to exercise some domineering authority in all the details of your life. As an elder, my authority stops with the Word of God. I have no authority to tell you to do anything beyond the clear commands of Scripture. I have no authority to tell you where to live, what car to buy, who to marry, unless I can take you to a chapter and verse and say, this is what God commands. If I can do that, the other elders do that, then you're to obey the Scriptures that we bring to your light. You're to look at the Scripture, you're to obey it, you're to do it. And the submission part of this, I think, has to do with submitting to the elders' decisions regarding life at this church. There are things that we decide that aren't chapter and verse for the management and the life of this community. You're to submit to that and to go along with that and not make it a grief for us to lead this church in some of those decisions that have to be made. You're to obey the Scripture, and you're to submit to what the, the elders have decided about what life in this community looks like as long as you're a part of this community. That's the idea here. Why? The big picture is Christ, out of His deep love for His church, gave this church and every true church a plurality of gifted men to lead. We're not perfect, absolutely not. We make mistakes, of course. We're flawed men. We're sinners saved by grace, just like you are. But this is the plan Christ has for the leadership of His church, and we're all to submit to it. I don't get to decide, you know what, I would really like to be the dictator of this church. I'm going to be a dictator. I don't get to decide, you know what, I want a bunch of, of corporate businessmen who may not be spiritually qualified, but who, who are really good at running big organizations. I don't get to decide that. I don't get to decide, you know what, we live in a country where everybody gets to vote, let's make this a democracy. I don't get to decide that, you don't get to decide that. Christ is the head of His church. He decides the structure of His church, and our job is just to try to follow. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part 12 of his series, Recovering a Lost Legacy. Tom will begin a new series on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, before we end our time today, how about summarizing the importance of the church recovering a lost legacy? You know, Bill, my heart's desire is that this series is ultimately a call for individual believers and the leaders of the church not just to believe the Bible is the Word of God, 
but to be committed to doing exactly what it says. Whether it's speaking about the issue of preaching or music or absolute truth or the leadership of the church and its structure, we have to accept the Scripture as the authority. It is the Word of God, and then live in light of that truth. We can't do what's right in our own eyes, but we have to order our lives and we have to order the conduct of the local church according to God's revealed word. Thanks, Tom. And friend, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the word unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.